0: Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed medical management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, welcome to WellMed Radio. We are so pleased to have you with us, and we've got a great show coming your way. My name is Ron Eisenberg. I am Ron Aaron Eisenberg Works. I am your co-host, along with Dr. Marisa Charles. So, Dr. Charles, it is great to see you. How have you been doing?
1: We've been doing just fine, Ron. How are you?
0: I'm good, and uh, slowly but surely getting out of the house, right?
1: That's right. Starting to venture out and doing more things, Um, of course, socially distancing and wearing our masks, but it's been... So, so nice now that we're vaccinated to be able to start doing a few things again.
0: And your daughters are face-to-face in school?
1: Not yet, actually. Not yet. Um, yeah, they haven't made it mandatory yet, so we're still keeping them at home. I think that we'll probably finish off the year at home, although they do have to go in for the standardized testing um, this week.
0: Well, we so failed go homeschooling. in homeschooling. My wife oh, and no. I were dismal failures, so uh, the kids have been back for uh, face-to-face. It's made a big difference. Uh, it, it was a matter, of course, ours are younger than yours, uh, yeah. the twin boys, seven and uh, Reagan, who's nine. We just couldn't get them to focus uh, through their tablet watching uh, their class. They're doing much better now that they're back in school.
1: I think it has a lot to do with personalities, too, though. My older daughter is thriving. She's doing great with the with the homeschooling. Um, my other daughter is more social and really misses the interaction. So it, it won't be too much longer that we'll have them back in regular school.
0: Well, I know one of the things that you see in your practice as a, a physician are a lot of folks with diabetes.
1: Diabetes, you know, we're, it's it's what I talk about almost all day long. We have so many patients because of our standard American diets and, and genetic components that end up with difficulties um, with their blood sugars, with diabetes, yeah.
0: Well, we're going to have a chance to talk more about it today uh, with our very special guest who has been on before. We love having him on. Uh, Dr. Manuel Jane is the lead physician for Wilmot at Haynes City in Haines City, Florida. Earned his medical degree from the University of Santo Tomas in Manila, the Philippines. Completed his family medicine residency at the University of South Florida in Tampa. Came to the U.S. in 1973. Dr. Jane is board certified in family practice and geriatric medicine, and he also has a marvelous sense of humor. Soon to celebrate. His 47th wedding anniversary. Uh, Dr. Jane, I, I don't see the chain and ball around your leg.
2: Yeah, but I'm still serving my time, though.
0: That's what he said. He's uh, been sentenced forever.
1: Oh, well, nice hopefully Mrs. Jane doesn't get her little feelings hurt. So. Oh, she's
2: not watching this. That's why I
1: can say anything I want. Oh. Well, it's pre-recorded. She might listen.
2: Yeah,
0: we may so. share the podcast with her. That's yeah, exactly right. So talk to us a little bit. Uh, What Dr. Charles just said, uh, I'm sure is probably true in your practice as well. You see a lot of patients with diabetes.
2: Right. You're not practicing medicine if you haven't treated any diabetes yet. And that's the first thing that I think should be mastered by all doctors how to treat diabetes. And diabetes is a treatable condition. And the complications that may arise can be averted. Averted. Uh, like blindness and neuropathy, kidney damage, heart attack, stroke. And these are one of the killers. It's diabetes, uh, one of the three, diabetes, hypertension, cholesterol. So, you know, your arthritis will not kill you, will not damage you, but diabetes, it will damage you. The reason is that sugar is poison. Nobody didn't realize that. And no matter how much you eat today, tomorrow, your fasting blood sugar will be less than 100 If you are not diabetic, but if you are diabetic, you don't even eat from 12 midnight to 7 a.m. and your sugar is 200 because you have a metabolic disorder. And we have already understood, I mean, most all the doctors understand and know a lot about diabetes. And no no diabetes should be uncontrolled. Although 50% of geriatrics that have been diagnosed may not be completely uh, treated for their diabetes because it starts much earlier than your symptoms appear. All right, I, want to talk, yeah. I want to
0: talk about that in just a minute. But uh, for those who may have just joined us, you're listening to WellMet Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Dr. Manuel Jane is our special guest from Haynes City, Florida. And Dr. Jane, uh, I've got a good friend who, for a long period of time, ignored his diabetes. He figured, I got this. I don't have a problem. I'm not overweight. I don't have to worry about it. Well, today... He has lost one leg, he has lost sight in one of his eyes, and the other eye is uh, at risk of uh, his losing sight as well. It's been a real challenge for him, and his message, were he on with us, handle, manage your diabetes, pay attention to
2: it, which he didn't do. Yeah, it's very hard for a patient sometimes to realize that they have diabetes Sometimes incidentally, when we do their complete metabolic profile, and that's the first sign that they have is their blood sugar is more than 100. And uh, they might not have any symptoms until they have blurred vision or losing weight, and they just don't feel good. And that's when they come in to the doctor. But I'm glad that some of them would come for a complete physical and from the routine blood test, and you will identify that. And majority of them, it's a surprise. They would say, I feel good. I have no symptoms at all. How come I'm diabetic? And sometimes it's hard for me to convince them that they're diabetic. So I let them come back and they do the test again. And you do it again and again and again until finally you can convince them that they're diabetic. I even have a patient uh, that already have blood sugar in the 200, 300 being a lot and still say, I don't have diabetes. I feel good. And I just treat it with diet and exercise. And those are the patients that really get into trouble. And we can really save a lot of maybe. these patients. Almost 80% of them will do well if they are diagnosed and treat well.
1: What does yeah, sugar? Unfortunately, that story is very common. And that's, and Dr. Jane is 100% right.
2: Dr. Jane, you mentioned sugar
0: is a poison. And to you and Dr. Charles, what do high levels of sugar do to your body?
2: Well, Sugar is a preservative. It's a, no living organism can live on a lot of sugar. If you want your strawberry to last longer and kill bacteria, you make it into a jam. And if you put candy under the drawer and you have salt in there, there's no bacterial growth. So sugar is poison. It destroys protein. It, it destroys the kidney, the blood vessels, the nerves. So diabetes, I mean, sugar is is good, but it's also a poison at the same time. And when
0: you... Uh, begin to control your sugar. Uh, if you have, there are two types of diabetes. Why don't we do the 411? Uh, there's uh, what used to be called juvenile diabetes uh, and there's type 2 diabetes. Uh, talk a little bit about both of those, Dr. Jane, and what are the differences?
2: Correct. Type 1 diabetes is when they have lost the pancreatic function and they don't have any insulin at all to lower their blood sugar. And usually that's in that they call juvenile diabetes. And sometimes adult can become uh, type 1 from type 2 to type 1 when their pancreas is all worn out or burned out by the sugar itself. The sugar will also destroy the pancreas itself. Now, in the adult, they have a lot of insulin, but their insulin is not able to lower their blood sugar. So we call it insulin resistance. Their insulin goes up and their diabetes goes getting worse. And there's a protein in the blood that floats that is coated with sugar. And that's what they call hemoglobin A1C. And that's what we use to monitor whether their diabetes is controlled or not. And that usually changes after a while, like three months later. If you have too much sugar, you'll have a lot of that. So we do that as a monitoring test and also a diagnostic uh, test for diabetes.
0: Now you mentioned the pancreas uh, plays a key role in uh, producing insulin. Uh, Dr. Charles, have we gotten to the point for those with type 1 diabetes where we can do pancreatic transplants?
1: I believe that there have been some advances um, with um pancreatic transplant um in in a few patients. I actually have a a friend whose husband had to undergo a similar procedure and is doing better. Those procedures are they're not very common yet, they're rare, um, but they have made some advances and are moving forward. Um, with research to to try to help patients that have become, you know, like Dr. Jane said, where the pancreas has completely stopped functioning, um, to have some, you know, pancreatic cells replaced in the body to start making, start doing that work again. Yeah,
2: years ago, uh, years, I'm talking about even probably before I graduated medicine, there was some quack doctor somewhere, and he desiccated the, uh, the fetuses that they removed. And then they, he injected intramuscularly and he said that would grow into a pancreatic tissue and treat it. And so there were a lot of attempts in the past uh, to treat diabetes in, in a different ways. But right now we have a lot of knowledge, including the transplant you're talking about, that can really manage diabetes. So when you have diabetes, make sure you go to your doctor and uh, have him evaluate because we have right now, I, I my feeling is that the diabetes can be almost a hundred percent treated and avoid all the complications that I have seen among these patients. So I, I hope that the message that I'm going to give them is that it's not it's not too late, it's not too early. Just have your blood done, and then if it is high, we can always advise them what to do. Reesa, you're shaking your head. Yes.
1: Oh yes. I mean the the newer medications that are out are you know we're seeing such great successes in patients lowering their blood sugars, Um, you know, from oral medications, now there's some injectable medications that are not insulin, but work, you know, in the body to help you, um, to help the way that you respond to the sugars and to help you be able to process them better. Um, in addition to the insulins, which of course have been around for quite some time. Um, I know we see a lot of patients that are resistant. First, it's, it's the diagnosis. So just understanding the criteria that they, you know, that is met and, and how we diagnose the diabetes in the first place. Cause I also have a lot of patients that will be in, in, uh, denial at the beginning. And so once patients understand that the blood sugar where it's at is is too high, then uh, an understanding that the medications are actually going to help them in the long run, and then getting them to comply.
2: Yeah, that's uh-huh. true. Because yeah, go ahead, Dr. Jane. I, yeah, first thing I do with a patient is that I let them know what I know, because once they know, then they have the uh, responsibility to make a choice. And once they make a choice, I guide them as to where. Uh, they can go and create a better health uh, better outcome of their diabetes so there's a lot that we can share with patients on what we know about diabetes without uh, going into the highfalutin uh, uh, words or scientific words about diabetes i just uh, i just i just tell them that the sugar is high and diabetics even if they don't eat imagine they don't eat from midnight to 7am and their sugar is 200 so my patients would be wondering doc i did not eat how come my sugar is high and Hold that
0: thought. We're going to come right back to you, doctor. We got, that's called a tease for what we're going to do in a minute. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to WellMed Radio. Our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, is here along with our very special guest from Haynes, Florida, uh, where he is uh, with the WellMed Clinic there. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening WellMed Radio.
1: You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892.
0: So, you go to bed at midnight, you wake up in the morning, unless you're a secret snacker, you haven't had anything to eat, and yet if you're diabetic, your sugars could still be through the roof. You're listening to WellMed Radio. We're talking about diabetes with our very special guest, Dr. Manuel Jane. Uh, Dr. Jane is the lead physician for Wellman in Haines City, in Haines City, Florida. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co host, Dr. Marisa Charles. So, that really is a conundrum, Dr. Jane, uh, where people say to you, Look, I didn't eat anything all night. Why are my sugars going crazy?
2: So well, I start with explaining why they feel sleepy after eating. You know, when you eat, your sugar goes up and your pancreas will respond to what you have eaten and make your sugar go down. So you feel a little bit uh, drowsy. And then when the sugar is down, it will stimulate the pancreas to produce another hormone called glucagon. And that glucagon stimulates your liver to produce sugar. So it goes back up then when you have that second surge of insulin coming from your liver, then your pancreas will control it. So no matter how much you eat, your your pancreas will take care of it the next day. But when you are diabetic, guess what? Your sugar drops and your glucagon is produced and the liver produces sugar and your pancreas doesn't have enough insulin to control it. So the sugar just keeps on going up and going up while you are having low blood sugar. And that's what happens in almost all diabetics. Their sugar keeps on going up when they're not eating.
0: Now I used so, to work with a, mm-hmm. a a guy in radio who was my technical director, uh, who uh, we would become very irritated when his blood sugar dropped. He was diabetic, a- and he said to me, "Tell me when that's happening because I need to do something about it." Does that's that true. Make sense?
2: Well, yes. Well, in the elderly, they lose the uh, sense or the delay—not loss, but the delay sense of hunger, of thirst, of of being dizzy, they don't easily perceive that their sugar is low. So among the elderly, sometimes they just pass out and their sugar is in the 70s or 30s without even knowing. In the young, right, away the they know, they're hungry, they, they feel cold, you know, shaky, they, they eat. But the elderly, you're right, in the elderly, it's very difficult sometimes for them. So I tell them to have a sugar tablet with them all the time. And even if they think their sugar is high, it's always good to get sugar. No matter what happens, whether sugar is high or low, when you feel that way, make sure you pop in some sugar tablets or drink some orange juice to increase your sugar. Because in the elderly, the high sugar is not as bad compared to the young. I have patients whose sugar is 400, 500, and they're still walking around. They're just getting dehydrated. And yet the young, if you have a blood sugar of 300, 400, they go into coma because in the elderly, we don't have that uh, much complications because the, the ketones come from the fat. And when you get older, there is less fat in the body to burn. What are ketones? And, and their sugar, yeah, the sugar is high. And the sugar spills into the urine. And sugar attracts water. That's why we use lozenges so that it will uh, moisten your throat when it's dry. It attracts water. And so this sugar goes into the urine, attracts water. They go to the bathroom a lot. And that is one of the symptoms of diabetes. And they get dehydrated, the elderly patients. And, and so that's very important that you mentioned that your, you know, your friend uh, cannot tell whether he's hypoglycemic or not. Well, it was good of
0: him to tell me because it uh, it made a difference in our working together.
2: Yeah, that's very important. others, sometimes the friends, the family can also identify that. So, Dr.
0: Charles, what do you tell your patients about controlling their diabetes?
1: Well, we always start with diet, you know, diet being um, the first, um, the first pillar, if you want to say of diabetic control, Um, you want to make sure that they are limiting intake of the concentrated sweets, you know, like your cookies and your cakes and your um, sugary drinks. Um, So again, your body when you're diabetic is not good at processing those loose sugars. And instead of um, your pancreas being able to release enough insulin to keep the sugars in the bloodstream controlled, you lose that ability. So if you're constantly taking in foods that have a lot of sugar, you're going to have a much harder time controlling it. So that's step one. So you want a well-balanced diet um, that's going to include some proteins, some vegetables, you know, a moderate amount of fruit, you know, two to three servings of fruit a day is okay. Some people get very scared when they're diabetic and don't want to have any fruit, but fruit also has fiber and other vitamins and, and things that are beneficial. You want to be careful with the um, the simple carbohydrates, so like your white bread and your white rice. But the complex carbohydrates, your body has a little bit of a harder time. It it takes more time to extract the sugars from those foods. And so um, those, you know, in in moderate amounts are better, you know, are better for you overall. So we start with diet. We start with exercise because that's how one of the ways that your body burns the sugar is through your muscles working. Um, so, you know, making sure that you're getting some walking in, if that's your exercise of preference, um, 30 minutes, three to five times a week of some sort of aerobic exercise is an excellent thing to to do as well to try to keep that sugar controlled. And then after that, if the sugars are still not um, where they need to be, that's when we start talking about medications. Well,
0: I see on television lots of ads for diabetes-related products, uh, and one, if, if I were a diabetic, One of the things I would hate to do is a a finger prick every few hours every day. And apparently, there are now some products on that have eliminated the need for a a finger prick. Uh, Dr. Jane, how do those work? How do they measure your blood sugar?
2: For those patients who are taking insulin that we adjust based on the blood sugar, those are the ones that we encourage to take their blood sugar, uh, fasting blood sugar in the morning. And uh, those that are not taking insulin, they don't necessarily have to check their blood sugar every day because they don't adjust their pills. But we do is we check the blood sugar, uh, the A1C, which is a test for how their diabetes is controlled, at least once every three months. Now, if you want to monitor them, you've just started them on insulin and all that, we probably look at it at six weeks' time to see where their trend is. But generally, we check it like after three months or every three months. And if those tests that you're talking about, that really be good for juvenile diabetics or those that are on the pump and those that uh, really are on insulin, very you know, fully dependent upon insulin, they don't have to prick their fingers three or four times a day, although my patients do that. Because it, all I do is just check their fasting blood sugar and I put them on a long-acting insulin. I, I check it in the morning. And if they eat, I check it two hours after their last meal. And if I check it two hours after their last meal, I'll tell them you're eating too much if it's more than 200 after their last meal during the day. And so the best is to, like uh, Dr. Charles have mentioned, the diet is very important. In fact, if they can have a dietary or diet diary and they can say, well, this is what I have, this is what I have. And then you tell them, look how many calories you ate the whole day. In fact, it would be ideal if I tell them, put your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner together. If you cannot finish them in one sitting, you're eating too much. So, you know, if I give them all the food all together and I compute the number of calories, I said you divide this breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Do not, you know, if they cannot eat in one sitting, that that's too much. You're eating too much.
0: So what number of calories do you look for on average for men and women?
2: Yeah. I look at their uh, BMI and see, that's the what amount of... BMI? The my uh, basal metabolic index is the amount of fat in your body. Now, it's
1: a, a calculation where they take your yes. height and your weight, and then they give us ranges for what's considered a healthy weight versus overweight versus obesity. That's how we diagnose obesity, morbid obesity, um, based on the ranges um, that people fall in for their height and their weight. And it's a little different for men and for women, but we have charts that we can use to follow and, and you know, calculate those um BMIs, the basal metabolic and index.
2: That's true. Ideally patients who are diabetic should see the diabetic educator at least once a year and have a dietitian to review what they have been eating. Years ago I did that myself. I tried to compute how many grams of calories, protein and fat they can gonna... Are you kidding? They <laughs> they're oh. not be able to you you I even have a, a like a, a a balance, you know, uh, to to measure the amount of calories they're going to eat this and that, that does not work. It, it, it never works that way. So I tell them to go to the dietitian, and, and that's one of the, uh, you know, techniques that they do is uh, look at the total calorie that you eat the whole day and they compute it based on what they expect you to lose. I mean, you cannot just go there and say, this is my weight, I'm going to lose 20 pounds in two months. No, they, they adjust it and you have all your life to do that and to control diabetes. You know, at least at least three to five years, because that is when major complications arises if your diabetes is not controlled. I mean, I'm talking about chronic illnesses, although it can happen some acute crisis before that.
0: Well, we mentioned in terms of diabetes, and we've got about a minute and a half left. What what are the major uh, results of not managing your diabetes? We mentioned the potential for amputations, loss of eyesight. What oh, else? Yeah. Not that yes, that's uh, not bad enough.
2: Yeah, usually the vascular. You know, this is very important. Our blood vessels are very important. Now, let me compare it to, your, let's say, your uh, car, the tires in your car. You have a steel belted, fiber belted, rain belted, and what puts it together is the rubber. Now, your blood vessel also have those fibers, the protein fibers, and they're put together by glycogen or fat. Now, if your body cannot use sh- sugar, they use the fat. So, what will happen to those fat that puts your protein together? They they shed. You know, like your steak, you remove all the fat in the steak and then you put it into the grill. You still have some fat there that puts the fibers or the protein together. And if you cook it slow, you move the fat and it becomes tender. That's what happens to your blood vessel. They become tender. And then they, they balloon. They call aneurysm. So the first sign we see in the eye is diabetic neuropathy, uh, retinopathy in the eye where they have aneurysms. And the blood vessels, Oh, they oh, they just blow up. And then they have bleeding behind the eye. And their kidneys that is made of protein like a filter and sugar coach it and destroy it, guess what? You just like you have a a filter, air filter in your car that you haven't changed for years and have holes in them. So what will happen? The protein, they lose protein, they lose weight, they become weak, and the blood vessels are held together by uh, fat. The heart is a muscle that's held together by fat. So you can just imagine. So all that fat goes to the liver. And get become non-alcoholic fatty liver. They develop triglycerides. Ah, they develop cirrhosis of the liver. We call it non-alcoholic fatty liver among diabetics. Destroys the kidney. Got to stop Destroys.
0: you. Got to stop you right there, Doctor Jane. You were on a roll, and I'm sorry to do that, but we are flat out of time. Thank you for joining us, Doctor <laughs> Emmanuel Jane. We're my co-host, Doctor Marisa Charles. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.